says here in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. I got a long way to go. Really, the way we should think. Never see yourself as a completed individual. Now, your salvation, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were complete in Christ. You were made perfect. But as far as our lives upon the earth, we have not yet adapted to all the things that God wants for us. So we always have something to strive for, something to live for, something to improve upon. And he says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, how far you've come, you've got to think about how far you need to go. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. This keeps you from living in the past and looking toward the future. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's something that God has for us that's out there that we have not yet received. Salvation, going to heaven, that's a gift. That's free. We've already received that. But there's a lot more in this life, and there's a lot more when we get to heaven that God has for us. So the thing is, is can we be found faithful? And verse 15 says, Let us, therefore, in light of what we've already read, therefore, as many as be perfect, that's those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, and been made perfect in Christ, be thus minded. In other words, think this way. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Did you understand that when desire is to serve the Lord, and if you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing, whether in thought or deed, that when you read the Word of God and you stay yielded to the Lord, God will, as a promise, reveal it to you. Now, you may be in a spiritual condition where you're not ready to receive it, but hopefully you will. But get what else he says. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. In other words, what you have already learned, all the right that you now know to do, do that. Walk according to the light you have. Walk according to the truth you have. Walk according to the maturity that you've already received. It's a shame for a child of God who has matured in the Lord to go back into a second childhood and then act like a, a newborn babe again, like he hasn't learned anything. Let us mind the same thing. In other words, if I listen to God and you listen to God, can you tell me why we can't get along? If I do what God says and you do what God says, why can't we be in agreement? When the Bible talks about let us be of the same mind, it means we're all thinking the same way. Well, the only way we're going to ever agree is if we agree with Him. But when you start disagreeing with God, then you're going to disagree with people. And this is where all the trouble in the world comes from because we are not in harmony with the Lord. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Can you be able to say to other people, I want you to follow my example? Because every one of us are examples. And we're not perfect examples, but we are examples. And hopefully we're increasing in our steadfastness and our walk with the Lord. For many walk, now get this, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Can a child of God be an enemy of the gospel? Yes, by his actions, by the way you live. Whose end is destruction, it always destroys. Whose God is their belly, it means their own inward desires. And whose glory is their shame, and the reason is because they mind earthly things. Well, a lost man, you expect that. 
but not from a child of God. You expect a child of God to mind heavenly things, spiritual things. Let us that have been raised from the dead seek those things which are above, minding heavenly things, and many of God's people on. And that's where the weeping comes. And so I believe it's a very important thing, and I want to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, once again, we thank you so much for all you've done for us, for the free gift of eternal life. And we ask, Father, your blessings upon those that are not able to be here today because of various reasons. Some are sick, and, and some may be out of town. But whatever the reasons are, we pray, Lord, that you'd have your will in their life. And, Father, we ask now your blessings upon this service. Use us for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take our Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. I told a man one day, because I started talking to him, he thought that if you, um, if you smoke, you went to hell. And I told him, I says, I'd rather you smoke here than smoke later. Smoking will not send you to hell. Going to movies won't send you to hell. Drinking ain't going to send you to hell. There's only one thing that sends a person to hell, and that's rejecting the payment Christ made on the cross for them. As we know, the Bible teaches that a man is saved by grace. It's free. Grace means it's not of works. And salvation has to last forever, or it's not the gospel. And it has to be free, or it's not the gospel. There's a lot of people that talk about they're preaching the gospel, but if they don't make it free and don't make it forever, then it's not the gospel. The good news is that a man can have eternal life by simply accepting the payment Christ made on the cross for him. And so you don't have to quit anything, join anything, not in your eternal destination, but there's a lot more than just being born into this world. When you were born into this world, believe it or not, you really did not understand the physical life. You didn't understand what was waiting for you out there. You were just a little baby. There was a whole new world for you to learn. There's a lot of things that you had to learn to do, like walk and talk. So the first two or three years, all they do is try to teach you how to walk and talk. And then the rest of your life to sit down and shut up. This world that you would have missed if you'd have never got out of your diapers. When it comes to trusting Christ as Savior, yet that's just the birth into God's family. That was a free gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You accepted Christ as Savior. You became a child of God. As a child of God... Many of God's children never mature. They never grow on. They never go any further. So there's a, another world that they have missed out on. They, they live by sight, not by faith. They see, they understand by the physical body, and their limits of discernment is only according to that which they've learned in the natural world. So therefore, they can't make spiritual decisions. I want you to notice there in verse 8, in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And get these two words, every man shall receive his own reward according to his or her own labor. So every man, every woman will receive something for what they did after they trusted Christ as Savior. See, God does not reward you for anything you did before you got saved. 
Because, you see, it didn't add to your account. You were not a child of God. God's only going to reward people in heaven that are his children. So it has to start after you've trusted Christ as Savior. Your rewards is from the day you trusted Christ as Savior. Because then, and only then, can you actually do it for God. You didn't do it for him before. The key to saving a person's life is to lead them to the Lord at an early age so they can serve the Lord with more of the time that God's given them to live. Every man, that's every person, that's you, that's me, that's accountability. It means that there is a God in heaven that is watching over his children. Everything that we say, everything that we do, and God is going to reward us accordingly. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. You don't get the reward for somebody else's labor. If we did, that'd be all right with me, but I'm not sure that's in the Bible. I believe you're going to be rewarded for what you did. So it's a personal thing. Nobody can walk with God for you. Nobody can serve God for you. You are the one that must determine what you're going to do for the Lord. Now, I want you to look there in verse 10. And the last statement in verse 10 says, But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. See, after you've trusted Christ as your Savior, every person is to take heed how he builds his life. Building thereupon. Upon what? Upon a foundation. Well, what is the foundation? See there in verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. After you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've been placed on the foundation. There is no other foundation for you to build on. God does not want you to build your life upon sand, but upon the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ. So he says to every man who is on the foundation upon Christ, you trusted him as your Savior, Take heed how you build. Now, if you get to where you don't think it's that important, then you're not taking care in how you build. You don't really care. But if you do care, you've got to be concerned about everything in life because it's all going to affect your life. So he makes a statement in verse 12. Now, in view of what we've said, if any man build... Upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, that's the things you do for the Lord. And he says, says precious stones, hay, wood, and stubble. Hay, wood, and stubble, that's the things you do. That's a total waste of your life. That's things done in the flesh. You can build a house out of hay, wood, and stubble, and you can build out of gold, silver, and precious stones. If you set a fire to it, which one's going to last? Well, the fire is the eyes of God. Because, you see, God's going to judge everything through his eyes, not our eyes. That's why it, in life it's not so important as how you see things, it's how God sees things. It's, am I doing that which is acceptable to God? What does God accept? So when you see things through the eyes of Scripture, you're seeing things through the eyes of God, and you're to discern according to that. I've had people say, well, I don't see anything wrong with me going here, and I don't see anything wrong with me saying this, and I don't see anything wrong. And the problem is they were saying the right words. I don't see. They just don't see. So you're talking about gaining discernment. You're growing up in the Lord. You're learning the Word of God. So you're going to have better discernment. You'll make better decisions. And you're not thinking about just this life. You're thinking about eternal values. So important. Then in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. Every man's work is not talking about everybody in the whole world. We're not talking about We're talking about the believers, those who've trusted Christ to save them. Every man, every Christian, is going to have his work examined by God. And that's why he says down here, 
We sometimes compare ourselves and commend ourselves to other people because look how good I am. I'm better than so-and-so, and I'm doing this, and they're not doing that. I'm doing just as much as everybody else. It has nothing to do with anything. You do all that you can do for the Lord, regardless of what anybody else does. You just determine, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dedicate, sacrifice, and you do as much as you want. You can be as involved as you want, give as much as you want, whatever it is that God wants, and if you do it for the Lord, then God says you'll have more than what somebody else would have had. This is how God says he's going to reward, he's going to bless. So don't worry about everybody else. Make sure that you are doing what God wants you to do. And don't compare yourself with what other Christians are or are not doing. In verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Remember this, salvation, going to heaven, that's free. That's a gift. Christ paid for our way to go to heaven. By grace are you saved, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of, it's not of works. So evidently, when we're talking about work, then we're not talking about salvation here. Salvation, being saved from hell and going to heaven, is when you trusted Christ to save you and take you to heaven. Heaven is not a reward that you receive because of the way you've lived. Salvation is grace. You don't deserve it. It has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do. Salvation is simply of God. Here, we're talking about works, works, works. But these works has to do with your life, what you're going to do for him. So he makes the statement here, if any man's work shall be burned, that's the hay, wood, and stubble, you still will be saved. But you've lost all your rewards of what you could have had. Is it affecting eternity? Yeah, because see, when it says the day shall declare it, then he's talking about when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. When we get to heaven, God is going to judge every man. It's not the sins that you're going to have to pay for because sins have been paid. He's not bringing up your sin. He's talking about the works that you've done that he can reward you for. And a lot of people are going to be very surprised. But get this, in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The reason these scriptures are here, because you're talking about after you're saved, you're talking about bringing forth works, you're talking about what you're going to accomplish in the body. So you're to understand that this church is not really where God lives. God lives in our body. Our body is a temple of God. Now, a principle that's found in the Bible is that be ye holy, for I am holy. In other words, if God is holy, and He lives inside of you, and your body is His temple where He lives, then you're to keep your body holy for the Lord. Now, he makes a statement in verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I have had many funerals for many people who totally destroyed their body because of things that they did in their life, habits that they should not have had. They, by the very process of taking liberty to do whatever they want, then they have destroyed the body and they destroyed the temple. Him shall God destroy. God will allow the sins of this life, the bad decisions, to take your life. Look what he says now in verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. Now, who are we talking to? Lost people or Christians? We're talking to Christians. The context is about Christians. Can a Christian deceive himself? Well, evidently he can. What's he going to deceive himself? It's not going to matter. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. 
There's no consequences upon my body, my physical life in this world, and it does affect that. Does it affect eternity? It affects eternity. So everything is in consideration here. As they say, everything's on the table. And it says, For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you, get to if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. In other words, become a fool for Christ's sake. In other words, uh, let me just show you this. Look over there in verse 9 of chapter 4. He says, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. Verse 10, We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise, and we're fools. We are weak, oh, but you're strong. Ye are honorable, and we're despised. In other words, Paul said, look, we're, we're doing what's right, and look how people, the world treats us. You want the blessings of the world. So that means you've got to please the world. You've got to live like the world, act like the world, think like the world, do like the world. And the world will leave you alone. But stand against the world. And you'll find out that you're going to be criticized. And people ain't going to love you too much. And you're going to have to suffer consequences. And in their eyes, you're the fool. And they're so wise. In verse 20 of chapter 3, And again, the Lord, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. They're empty. Just because a man in this world can make a million dollars doesn't mean he's wise in God's eyes. Because he fails to lay up treasure in heaven, that man is a fool. A fool, God says. Not smart, not wise. He's a fool. It doesn't matter what you can accomplish. We're not going to stay here forever. We're going to be gone one of these days. And then what? Romans chapter 14, and look there in verse 10. Verses 10 to verse 13. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou sit at not thy brother? In other words, it's so easy for us to see the sin in other people's lives, to see their failures, their weaknesses, and point them out, either to them or about them behind their back, whatever it may be. And we believe that's called discernment. We can discern everything on somebody else's life, but very seldom are able to discern the ones in our own life. In the last part of verse 10, For we shall all, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, you can't make somebody live right. You can only teach proper doctrine, and then they have to make that decision for themselves. So the Bible tells us that the day is coming when we will be at the judgment seat of Christ. It takes place in heaven, not upon the earth, in heaven after we leave this world. And God is going to reward you. And it says, and every man shall receive his own reward. Every man shall give account of himself. You're not going to heaven to give account of everybody else. You've got to account for yourself. Make it what he says. In verse 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Of himself. That's you, the individual. So are you going to be held accountable for this life? You are held accountable for this life. 
word and deed. And the Bible also refers to thoughts. Isn't that enough to scare you to death? But not the sins of this world, but that which fails to meet the criteria for rewards before God. He says to discern what sort it is, whether it's gold, silver, and precious stones, or hay, wood, and stubble. Hay, wood, and stubble is not necessarily sin. Hay, wood, and stubble can simply be bad choices, not the best choice. You see, in Philippians in chapter 1, he says that you may grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you may be able to prove that which is more excellent. See, sometimes in life we just make some good choices, but it may not be the best choice, the excellent choice. So you go through life making decisions, but sometimes you may not pray about many of your decisions. You just do them because in your heart, my motive is clean, I'm pure, I'm right, and therefore I don't see anything wrong with it, but may not be the will of God. Always seek the will of God in everything that you do. All I want you to do is to simply always do what you believe God would want you to do. Just do what you believe God would want you to do. And if God wants you to do it, do it. Every man rises or falls on himself and his own faithfulness to God. Now look at verse 13. Verse 13 is so important because it's not just talking about you. Now the responsibility is not just concerning yourself, but it's also upon how you affect other individuals. In verse 13, Let us uh, not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. Let no man, and you ought to underline this in your Bible, no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Is God going to hold you accountable for what you became in the eyes of someone else because you are to be an example? And some people can fall and stumble over decisions that you make. That's why your life is not just about you. You are not an island unto yourself. You affect other people's lives. And God says that we can affect other people's lives. And we're supposed to try to persuade people. Be thou an example of the believer in word and in deed. Attitude. So don't just judge things by whether or not, well, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't bother me. Okay, but what about somebody else? Ephesians chapter 1. And look in verse 13. Verse 13. It says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, after you heard the truth, you understood, you trusted Christ, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, how you could be saved, have eternal life, in whom Christ the very moment you believed, the Bible says you were sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed because the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus Christ, John 14. And he makes this statement, I will ask the Father and he shall send you the Holy Spirit that he may be with you and dwell in you forever. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, he came as a result of the prayer of Jesus Christ, not your prayer. You don't pray down the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes the day you trusted Christ as your Savior, the very moment, as a result of the promise that God had already made. So the very day you trusted Christ, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ, sealed into the body of Christ. 
He makes the statement here in verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. That means the down payment. The earnest is a down payment. And if you got this, that means that's the guarantee you're going to get the rest. So the day you trusted Christ, you received the Holy Spirit, that's the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance, until you get total possession of everything God's promised. See, we're not through yet. We're not home yet. We may have a few years to live in this life, and then we're going to leave this world, and we're going to get what God promised in His Word. He says, ye are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have some possessions that we're going to take hold of. And then there's things that God's going to give to you, not just because you're His son, but because you have labored for Him. You've worked for Him. The rewards that God has promised. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through 32. 29 through 32. In verse 29 it says, Let therefore not... This is a principle in the Word of God. There may be some words that you hear that, you know, are profanity. But they may not be found in the Bible. But look, as a principle in the Word of God, it should help you to understand this is not pleasing. This, is, this does not add grace to the hearers. So he says in verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. This is to the Christian. It's to those who are living in this world here and now. Look there in chapter 3. I want you to see this. In chapter 3, look there in verse 15. He says, Of whom the whole family of God, and everybody in the world is not in the family of God. Only those who are born into God's family are His children. So therefore, the whole family, there's some who have already died, and they're in heaven. Some that are still upon the earth. And I like to believe that you are in the family of God. But get what he says here. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's that new birth of yours, that when you trusted Christ, that's that inner man, the new man. That he would grant you in this life, in this world, at this time, this is the will of God for you. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, rooted, and grounded. You see, a root of a tree goes down into the ground in order to get the nutrients and the water that it needs to sustain itself. But we are rooted and grounded in the Word of God, and our roots are supposed to be wrapped around these solid rocks in the Word of God so that we can become strong and be able to stand against the wind of adversity or the various winds of doctrine that comes in our life. So that you are anchored, and the Bible says in the book of Psalms in chapter 1, it talks about we're planted like trees by the rivers of water. Well, that's to the Christian that puts the Lord first. He said that ye being rooted and grounded in love, get this, may be able not only to know, but to do something. As those that are members of the family of God in this life, at this moment, this time, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God. In other words, everything in life, all the trials and temptations, the pressures and you name it, is all trying to teach you one thing, the love of God. There's things that will challenge your faith, challenge your love, 
for God. You see, God doesn't want anybody to put anything between him and God. Well, life is filled with things that if you ever take your eyes off the Lord, it will be replaced by the things of the world that are temporary and they will eat up your life and you will lose. Not salvation, but you'll be losing rewards that you could have had. So God says, I want you to know me in every situation, under every circumstance, every problem, every heartache, every pressure, you name it, I want you to learn the love of God. Get what he says. And the depth and the height and to know the love of God. You see, that's why we're still left here. To learn how much God really loves us. And it reveals also your steadfastness to the Lord and how much do you really love God. Isn't it easy to say these words? I love God. Say those words with me. I love God. Say it again. I can hear you. I love God. Say it again. I love God. Can you, are, are you saying it? I love God. Say it one more time. I love God. See how easy that was? Now, how do you know if you really love God? Let God test you. Let him bring along something that uh, you might uh, swap him for. Would you trade the love of God? See, God says that there's nothing that will ever separate you from his love for you. Tribulation, you name it, there's nothing. Romans chapter 8, that can come between God's love for you. His is an everlasting love. All right, now let's just reverse it. Is there anything that can come between you and you loving God? What if he sent you cancer? What if he took all your money away? What do you feel about him now? I told the basketball kids this yesterday. I said, look, when you won your game and you beat that other team by 46 points in the second half, I says, a couple of the kids made the comment, boy, that Yankee's a good coach. And then they lost a couple games. I bet they're ready to fire me. See, I'm good or bad based upon how they play. I love God. Yeah, you can love God. But what if you don't get what you want? What if God takes your loved one? What if God takes away our church? What if God takes away your health, takes away your job? Do you still love God and you'll be just as faithful though nothing ever happened? And you'll still be just like that Mazda. Hmm. Or you're going to be running like a Volkswagen. Get what it says in verse 19. And to know the love of God, of Christ, which passes human knowledge. You see, you can't learn a lot of things about God with the human knowledge. But God used human experiences to teach you spiritual truth if you're discerning. So he says that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, that makes you more like God. Don't you want God to make you like him? To create you in his image. Life itself is to develop the characteristics of God. Christ in you. Now get what he says in verse 30. This is too, I, I was going to leave this, but I, this is too good. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, not in heaven, down here. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Get this, according to the power that worketh in us. If the power of God is not working in you, no, then you're not going to see anything happen. You're not going to understand anything. You're not going to discern anything. And your life is just one dull, boring Christian life. 
because you're not seeing God work in your life. Well, it's talking about those who will let the power of God work in your life according to the knowledge that you already have. But see, if you won't live according to the truth that God's given to you, why should God keep giving you more knowledge, more light to see, to understand? When you won't obey that which you already know to obey, you won't do it. It's an individual thing. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, there's a lot of things coming that we haven't yet begun to understand. Look now in verse 30. Verse 30. He says, And grieve not, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's the redemption of the body. Your soul's already been redeemed. That's why we can stand saying, I'm redeemed. Well, the soul has been redeemed, been made pure and holy and washed whiter than snow. Uh, that's the soul. That's you, but not uh, your body. Your body still is worse as the days go by. In verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is to the child of God. This is, the, this is your testimony. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God forgave you for Christ. He forgave you. Why can't we forgive other people who wrong us? And some of us will carry bitterness and grudges to our grave before we'll forgive somebody who wronged. You wronged me 30 years ago, and I'll never forget it. Well, God bless your Christian attitude. I hope you're proud of that. Now look in chapter 5 and verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God. That word following means imitators. Imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, your walk in love before God as an example, seeking to be an imitator of God, God says, oh, that smells good. But he says, there's some things I don't want you to do. And down in verse 8, he says, For ye were sometimes darkness, now your light in the Lord walk as children of light. Now, underline verse 10 in your Bible. In verse 10, proving what is, and you ought to underline this again, what is acceptable unto God. Christian life is not what's acceptable to you. It's not what's acceptable to me. Well, I don't see anything wrong. It has nothing to do with your viewpoint. It's God's viewpoint. Serving God is finding out what God wants, what pleases God, and doing that. How you doing? Are there things in your life that you know is not acceptable to God, and you ain't going to quit it or stop it? You don't care what. Do you think God is pleased and happy with that result, that attitude? You see, staying teachable and pliable in the hands of God is one of the greatest things you'll ever do in this life. You see, you either stay teachable and pliable or you become hard-hearted. You become stiff-necked. You won't bend. You won't yield. God's going to have to break you. Sooner or later, something, God's going to have to lower the boom. He's patient. He's a good God, a loving God. He's patient. But that moment is coming. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You see, if you're wise, you realize, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to do what I can while I can. Do what you can while you can. And then learning priorities. Learning what is the most important thing that I can do. In verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you knew the will of God, would you do it? If you really knew the will of God, would you do it? I hope so. Look up here.
If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I can assure you, this is the will of God. Listen. This is you and me. This wallet represents sin. We have all sinned. But God loves us, but He hates our sin. And for us to pay for the sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, and He wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and nobody's perfect. Nobody's righteous. We're all sinners. You see, we can't go to heaven because God won't let sin in there, so how can I get rid of my sin? But God loves us, and to pay for that death in hell, but God says, you can't pay for sin by going to church and living a good life and giving money. Those good deeds will never pay for sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He's God in the flesh. He came into the world because He loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said that if you or I or anyone in the whole world, if we would believe that Jesus Christ did that for us, did what? Paid for our sins. If you'll believe He did it for you, He will put this payment that He made for the world. He'll put it to your account. And there's enough to pay for everything you've ever thought, said, or done from the time you're born to the time you die. God's grace is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And we get to go to heaven on what He did. That's a gift. That's free. See, if I offered you my wallet and you accepted you to have a wallet, and if I offered you my Bible and you accepted you to have a Bible, and if Jesus Christ walked in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted, what would you have? Eternal life. And if it's eternal life, it lasts forever. And if it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, then where would you go when you die? You'd go to heaven when you die. So I hope that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, do it right now. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord, why not right now just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this? Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. And Father, I realize that I cannot save myself, that you won't give me eternal life because I'm good enough. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it. But you love me and you paid for my sins. And so this morning, this moment, right now, I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And friend, if you'll do just that much, God said He would save you from hell, give you eternal life. You would become His child, His child forever. So if you've never done it before and you'll do it right now, I'd like to have prayer for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. not going to have you forward. I'm not going to have you stand up, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, so that nobody will be embarrassed. If you will trust Christ as your Savior to let me know by raising your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And you said, yes, that made sense to me. And right now, I'll trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Our Father, we do thank you so much for your word that you've given us. And help us, Father, to always keep these things fresh and anew in our minds. Because we live in a, in a deceitful world. It's so easy to be fooled deceived by so many things and so many people. Help us to keep our eyes upon you and to keep doing what's right. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.